0: If you would, in your Bibles, please turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And if you do not have a Bible here with you today, if you do not have a Bible here with you today, you can use the pew Bible that's found in front of you. And our passage is found, I believe, on page 944. Might be 945. But Romans chapter 8, and we are in verses 28 to 30. It is good to be back here with my church family this Sunday. I appreciate Drew uh, filling in for me last Sunday, just so thankful for, uh, for he and Andrew just in their faithful preaching as they fill in at times uh, during the year. And last weekend I was in Dallas with my dad and with my sister and her family celebrating. My dad just turned 80 in November and he finally retired the last Friday of this year or last year And so we went to celebrate with him and so it was just a good time to spend with family And so last Sunday we went to church with my father and my sister and her family And I don't know it's just something about being a sheep in someone else's pasture I mean it, it was fine it was, it was, it was, it was okay uh, But I'm used to my own field and to be here amongst my own sheep if you will And so it is good to be back here. But last Sunday, as we were exiting church, walking out the front doors, Jamie and I were talking, and as we were walking out, and my dad was behind us, I guess, a few steps. And uh, the pastor was there of the church, and he was talking to other people, and so I didn't want to bother him because I'm not coming back. I'm not a guest, per se, that's going to be visiting again. And so I just kept on walking because he was talking. And then we step outside, make it to the front porch area. And so we stopped to wait on my dad and figured he got stopped talking. And so he comes out and then he says, Steve, I was calling for you because I wanted you to meet my pastor. I'm like, oh, pop, I'm sorry. I I didn't hear you call me. And uh, so, anyway, then we went on to lunch. Well, as we look at our text here this morning. We are picking up where we were about two, three Sundays ago here in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 30. And what we are learning in these verses, and what we are being reminded of in these verses, is that God, He always accomplishes His plans. My pop had, my dad had a, a plan to call me back to come back and to meet the pastor, and I didn't hear him. He failed in his plan. But God never fails in His plan. He is always successful in what He does. And in Psalm 115, verse 3, it says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. And so specifically here this morning, as we continue on here in these verses, we will see that God accomplishes His plan in salvation. And we can summarize the plan of salvation by saying that God saves sinners through His Son and by His Spirit. And that is good news, isn't it? That God saves sinners. And He does this through His Son. He does this by His Spirit. And so as the adopted children of God, as we've seen here in Romans chapter 8, that we've been adopted as sons into God's family through His his Son, Jesus. And as His adopted children, we need the confidence of knowing that God effectually accomplishes His purposes. We need the confidence of knowing that nothing can inhibit God from doing what He foreordained to take place, and especially in our salvation. And this confidence, it leads to assurance of our salvation. Many of our songs this morning have led us to that, to to sing out of our assurance that we have in Christ. But this confidence also leads us to boldness, boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to others. And it also leads us to humility, to be humble before our God because He has saved us by His grace. And so in these verses, we are learning that because God accomplishes His purpose, we have confidence. And so, if you recall from a few Sundays ago, we are breaking these verses down, these three verses, 28, 29, and 30, into four parts. And in the first half of verse 28, we see the effectual cause of God. And then in in the second half of verse 28, we see the effectual call of God. And then in verse 29, the effectual conformity of God. And then lastly, in verse 30, is the effectual completion of God, that He completes our salvation. And so let me read these verses here for us, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Starting there in verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Let us pray. Oh God, how good it is to gather with our church family to be brothers and sisters in Christ who have covenanted together in this church and on the first day of the week to gather together and to lift up our voices in praise to You and to pray to You. God, now to continue our worship of You through hearing You through Your Word. So God, we pray that Your Spirit would lead us in the truth that is found here, that Your Son Jesus would be exalted, For he is our good shepherd who calls his sheep to him. So, Father, we pray that your son would be magnified here in this time. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. And so, as we were together last time here in Romans chapter 8, we already saw in the first half of verse 28 the effectual cause, or excuse me, the effectual cause of God. And just by way of reminder, what we learned at the beginning of verse 28 is that God effectually causes for His people all things to work for good. I think we know probably verse 28 probably very well that God causes all things for good for those who love Him. As we saw last time in this text, this does not mean that all things are inherently good. Many things that happen to us are harmful, are hurtful, But God the Father, by the Spirit, works together in all situations of our lives for our benefit. And our benefit is our growth in righteousness. That is our good. And we saw there in verse 28 how Paul begins that verse and really just kind of flows throughout these verses when Paul says, and we know that. Just a wonderful statement of just confidence, of assurance. And that's how Paul started this sentence. It is a statement of confident knowledge. The confident knowledge of of God's sovereign power, because He is working all things for our good. But not just sovereign power, but it's also a statement of confident knowledge in God's sovereign will that nothing happens to us apart from his decree. And those two things always go together, power and will. For you see, God does not just have sovereign power to exercise when he wants to, but he exercises his sovereign power to achieve his sovereign will. This is what we have seen throughout history. This is what we see when we read through the Scriptures. God's sovereign power, God's sovereign will. This is what we have confident knowledge of. And so now that brings us to the second half here of verse 28. And this is the effectual call of God. And what we see here in this second half of verse 28 is that God effectually calls His people to the grace of salvation. And how good God is to do this. Notice what He says there in that second half. He says, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now this phrase is another description of those who love God. We learned last time there in verse 28 that when it says, for those who love God, that's not a statement of those who might love God more than other people love God. No, that is a statement of all of God's children, all of God's people. For God's love has been shed abroad in their heart by His Spirit. And so all Christians, all children love their Father. And so that statement, for all those who love God, is a statement of Christians. And here we have another statement of Christians. That is, those who are called, called according to his purpose. Now, the Apostle Paul, when you look at these verses here, he actually gives four descriptions of Christians in these verses. Those who love God, those who are called, and then in verse 29, we see those who are foreknown, and then those who are predestined. These are all four descriptions of the same group of people, God's children, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here when Paul says, for those who are called, a very literal translation can be put this way, those who are being called. And by being called is not meant giving a name to someone. It's not like this is a, a nickname that someone might give to you. I don't know what nickname you had in high school. Have I ever shared with you all my nickname in high school? I don't know if I want to, um, but now you're curious. Uh, my nickname was Soap in my senior year. I had just moved to Lubbock um, just for my senior year. I was there for six weeks in my junior year, last six weeks, and then uh, did my senior year in high school in Lubbock. And, of course, didn't know many people, and uh, so seeking attention, I took bars of soap after football practice and would break them on my forehead. I do not recommend that to anyone here today, all right? Don't do as I did in that place. But I did get some friends, and many of them never knew my first name. They only knew me as soap. But this isn't a nickname. When we talk about those who are called, it's not a nickname that's, that's given. No, by being called, it signifies something that has been done. It signifies action, it signifies intent, and it signifies results. Uh, much like when a mother might step out on the front porch And calls her children to come home. They're out playing in the neighbor's yard somewhere in their neighborhood. And she steps out and she calls to the children to come home. She's not giving them a nickname by calling them. They are the the called ones now. But that's not a nickname for them. It's what's actually being done to them. Now, as parents know, the children may or may not come. But with God, thankfully... With God, when He calls, when He calls His children, they always respond. God is always effectual in calling His children to Himself. And so this description of being called, this is something that we find throughout the New Testament. In fact, if you just mark your place here in Romans chapter 8 and and look back at Romans chapter 1, we see Paul has already used This description. He uses it of himself there in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, now here, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, when Paul says that he is called to be an apostle, what he's referring to, that this is God's purpose for Paul. For Paul to be one of the apostles, to hold that office, that, that special office of apostle that the others held uh, in, the new, in the Gospels when Paul wasn't a part of them. But after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus appeared to Paul. And they're on the Damascus Road. They're called Saul, that was Paul's original name, called Saul to himself. He was called to be an apostle. This was God's purpose for Paul's life. And God effectually called Paul to that office. This is why he was in it. He didn't just get up one day saying, you know what, I think I want to be an apostle. This was God's call upon him. But most of the time that this word call is used... It is used in reference to, to being a Christian. Again, Paul uses this term there in Romans chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. So this is still in the introduction uh, to this letter to the church in Rome. And Paul says there in verse 6, he says, "...including you who are called to belong to, Christ, to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints." called to belong to Jesus, called to be saints. The Christians that were gathered there in that Roman church, they were called by God to come to His Son Jesus, to be saints, to be sanctified in Him. We see Paul use this several other times in, in his writings. It's not unique to him, but just two other references. Look over at Jude. You might be wondering, where's Jude at? Well, Jude is the one chapter letter that's found right before the letter of Revelation. So if you find Revelation, just look to the letter right before it. And here we have Jude. And notice how he begins his letter to the church that he is writing to. He says there in verse 1, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. That word there, called, is used to signify their salvation. They've been called by God for salvation. Then notice, since we're so close to Revelation already, look at Revelation chapter 17. And here in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 14, it says there in verse 14, it says, They will make war on the Lamb. That is the world that's gathered against. Christ. They will make war on the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him, so that is his followers, his people, those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And so I just do this because we normally don't, I walk through these verses because we normally don't think of this word called. It's not maybe a word that we necessarily think of to describe Christians. But it is a word that, again, appears throughout the New Testament letters. And so the question might be, well, what is this call? What is meant by calling? Well, here's what you can write down if you take notes. You can write this down. Calling is a work of God. It's a work of God by His Spirit to enlighten sinners to the Gospel so that they respond in obedience. Let me just give that to you one more time. Calling is its the work of God by His Spirit to enlighten sinners to the Gospel so that they respond in obedience. And to respond in obedience to the Gospel is repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. And this word, call, called, calling, it's a word that appears throughout the New Testament because it reminds us of something. It reminds us that this call of God is necessary. It's necessary for salvation, and it's necessary for two reasons. And the first of those reasons is that sinners are enslaved to sin have been talking about being enslaved to sin as we've walked through Romans chapter 6, but this is something that we cannot escape. Sinners are enslaved to sin, and you see what the, the problem with man is not that he cannot turn to God. The problem with man is that he does not want to turn to God. Jesus in John chapter 5 verse 40 when he is speaking to the people around him he diagnoses their heart problem but really he's diagnosing the heart problem of all men and there Jesus says in John chapter 5 verse 40 he says that man refuses to come to him and why does he refuse well, mark your place here again in Romans 8 and look back at John chapter 3, a famous chapter in John's gospel, most, one of the most well-known and beautiful verses of John 3.16 for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son and whoever believes in Him will not perish but has eternal life. But there, right after John 3, 16, some verses that maybe are not as well known, we are told there in verse 19, why is it that man does not want to turn to God? Who would not want to turn to God when you know who He is? Well, we are told here, in verse 19 it says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That is, jesus the light has come into the world and people now get this people loved the darkness rather than the light and why because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed This is what's wrong with man. He loves sin. And he does not love God. And so for that reason, man needs the Spirit of God to change his affection. To change his desire. In order that he might come to Jesus. Because we only go after what we love. And here... The Word of God, the Spirit of God is telling us here's what's wrong with man. You don't want God. You love your sin. You love the darkness. You don't love the light. You don't love Jesus. Therefore, you will never come to Him until that changes. But that's exactly what God does when He calls His children to Himself. Look there at John, still in chapter 3, verse 21. It says, but whoever, whoever does what is true comes to the light, that is, comes to Jesus, so that it may be clearly seen that His works have been carried out in God. Well, why is it that men and women turn to Jesus? It's because God by His Spirit has called them to Himself. It's not because they were the only ones who kind of loved God more than anyone else. No, it's because God worked in them. So the effectual call of God is necessary because man is enslaved to sin. But that's not his only problem. The Bible also tells us that the effectual call of God is necessary because sinners are dead in sin. We're not just enslaved to it, but we are dead in it. And the problem, therefore, with man is that he is spiritually powerless to save himself. Well, you might know Ephesians chapter 2, there in verse 1 and really to verse 3, just it really diagnoses and just and in that short, in those short verses, just says, here's what's wrong with man. And there the word of God tells us that. It says that you, talking to Christians before they came to Christ, he says you were dead in the trespasses and sins, and you were following after the prince of this world who is Satan. Man is dead in his sin. He's spiritually powerless to save himself. Now, just imagine going out to our local cemetery just south of town and standing there in the middle of the cemetery and shouting at the top of your voice and calling for those dead bodies to come to life. What do you think is going to happen? If you or I went out there and did that, well, maybe what's going to happen is people are going to haul us off to the loony bin. But what we know is that nothing is going to happen. Those bodies are dead. They're powerless. Our voice is powerless to bring them to life. But brothers and sisters in Christ, the call of God to the dead is powerful. In John chapter 11, a well known story there, when Jesus is with Mary and Martha, he finally makes his way to them because Lazarus, their brother, had died four days earlier. And Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were dear friends of his. And he shows up four days later, and they're all grieving, they're all thinking, he, He's gone. They they thought before Lazarus had died, and maybe just maybe after Lazarus had died, they thought if Jesus were here then, then he could have done something. But now four days have elapsed, his body's in the tomb, it's hopeless. But you know the story. And Jesus walks out to the tomb with the crowd and he says, Remove the, the, the stone from the opening of the tomb, and they did. They're probably thinking Jesus is just as crazy as if you and I were to go out to a graveyard. But then Jesus, he calls out with a loud voice and he says, Lazarus, come out. Let me just ask you if you know the story, how many times did Jesus have to say that? Did he have to say it again and again and again until something happened? No. You know that Jesus just said it once. And then out walked Lazarus, who was dead, powerless to bring himself to life. And yet the voice of Jesus, the call of Jesus, brought him to life. Now this call to a physically dead person it illustrates God's call of spiritually dead persons. You see, when the Spirit calls, the dead rise to life. And because sinners are enslaved to sin, and because sinners are dead in sin, this is the reason why Jesus says in John chapter 6 verse 44 he says no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him you see this call of god by his spirit it is necessary to come to jesus because man on his own loves sin loves the darkness and hates jesus oh this is why this is such good news that god saves sinners through his son and by his spirit and this effectual calling of god as paul tells us here he says it is according to his purpose those who are called according to his purpose Now, the word purpose here that we have there at the end of verse 28, going back to Romans chapter 8, the word there, purpose, is the first of three words that begin with the same prefix in the Greek language. So we don't necessarily see it here in our translations. But when Paul is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses three words that begin with the same prefix. And those three words are purpose, foreknew, there in verse 29, and predestined, also in verse 29. Each of those three words begin with the same prefix. And so to help us in English to see maybe what, how Paul was writing in his day, uh, we could write these words this way. For purpose, you can use the word foreplan, F-O-R-E, foreplan. For the word foreknew, well, you can just leave it the way it is. And then for the word predestined, you can put the word foreordained. And that helps us maybe to see a little bit of the style that Paul is using here as he's being led by the Spirit is to draw our attention. And what it draws our attention to is that each of those words, by using that prefix in the original language, but we can capture it in English with the prefix "for." is that it signifies that God, in eternity past, planned what he would accomplish in time. That is, his sovereign power would accomplish his sovereign will. And the purpose that we have here in verse 28, when Paul says, called according to his purpose, well, what purpose is that? Well, purpose or foreplanning, the purpose of God effectually calling sinners to obedience of the gospel, well, that purpose is really several. And the primary purpose of God calling sinners is for His glory. I want you to, again, mark your place here in Romans 8. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Just a wonderful statement here. Paul is writing about the blessings that we have in Christ, the blessings that the Father has given to us in His Son. And here in Ephesians chapter 1, there in verses 5 and 6. So again, there in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And, And then basically he begins to list these spiritual blessings that God is to be praised for and we see there in verse 6 it says to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness uh, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace this is the reason God calls sinners It's for the praise of His glorious grace. It's so that we would be humbled. That we would be humbled before our God and to say, God, why me? Why call me? Why save me? Who am I amongst all the others? Because we know we are no better. We know our sins. We know how we hated God. And yet He called us. He did it to humble us and to bring praise to Himself for His glorious grace. This is His primary reason for calling sinners. But we see in the next verse there in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, We see a specific reason that Paul gives. But I'm going to pause this here. Because I don't want to rush through these next wonderful truths that are found here in 29 and 30. Let's just pause here at the end of verse 28 and let's just reflect for a moment as we prepare our hearts for communion. Isaac Watts, a well-known hymn writer from the 18th century. He wrote a hymn that we sing in our church from time to time. It's not one of his most well-known. I think it should be. But it's how sweet and awful is the place. And I've explained this before, but that word awful, sadly, and over time, the word awful is, is a word that's used for disgust. But that is not at all what the word means awful is a word to be full of awe, to be full of wonder. And so to be in the presence of God is an awful place. And here in this hymn of how sweet and awful is the place, uh, Isaac Watts is reflecting there on that parable that Jesus used in Luke's gospel when A rich man is holding a banquet and he invites many people to come. He sends out invitations and everyone makes excuses. No, no, no. And then the owner, the rich man, he says, he sends his servants out. He says, go find the people along the highways, along the paths, the poor. Bring them in. And they're brought in to this wonderful banquet. And that parable of Jesus is to symbolize salvation. To be in that wonderful home with that wonderful feast is to to be in Christ, to be saved in Him. And Isaac Watts, reflecting on that, he wrote, I believe it's the third, fourth stanza, he says, Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room? When thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this should be our heart as well. Why me, O Lord? The answer is it's not because of you, it's because of how good our God is. Turn with me here to John chapter 10. I'm going to read these verses here for us. I'll pray and then we will enter into communion. But here in John chapter 10, uh, again, one of the well-known illustrations, images that Jesus uses is that of Him being the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. But also here we see that the Good Shepherd calls his sheep to him so as i read these verses i'm going to start in verse 1 and i'll read through verse 18 i just want you to reflect upon this that this is our good shepherd jesus who calls his sheep calls his people to himself and notice how effectual that call is that when he calls his sheep they come starting there in verse 1 of chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. When he has brought out all his own. He goes before them. And the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him. For they did not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let us pray. Oh God, how we are humbled before you. For those of us here this morning, who are your children, who have been adopted into your family through your Son and by your Spirit. God, there was that moment in our lives. God, by your Spirit, you called. You called to us in our darkness. You called to us when we were living in our sin. You called to us. When we were despising you and despising your son. And yet, O oh God, by your grace, and for the praise of your glorious grace, you called, so that we might come to your Son, so that we might respond in obedience, in repenting of our sin, and trusting in Your Son, Jesus. Oh God, always keep us humbled before You. May we never thank ourselves better than anyone else who has not come to Your Son. For God, we were just like them. We are only sinners who are saved by Your grace, who have been brought in to this wonderful banquet hall, to enjoy this wonderful feast of all these blessings that we have in your Son. So God, who are we? Who are we that we heard your voice and to enter while there is still room before your Son is sent back And to bring judgment upon this world. Oh, Jesus, how we praise you that you are the Good Shepherd. You love your own, you have laid down your life so that the wolf cannot attack your sheep. You are the good shepherd who calls to your own. Oh God, thank you by your spirit that we follow after your son. That we have life more abundantly. Father, I pray that if there's a man here this morning... God, they are still outside of your son. They have refused to come time and time and time again. Oh, Father, would you have mercy upon him or her? And Father, at this time, oh, God, would you open their ears to hear their shepherd call? that is you here this morning the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved God as we come to this time of communion God I pray that it would be for the good of our souls to remind us of our good shepherd who has laid down his life for us who has been raised to life for us and who leads us this very day and one day will return and gather us to himself. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.